Hello listeners, welcome to Motos and Friends, a podcast from the editors at Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. Well, this week's episode is almost a little MotoGP-centric. In the first segment, Nick DeSena talks about his recent ride on the new Triumph Speed Triple. It's the latest generational upgrade of the much-loved original hooligan machine. Triumph are the engine supplier to the Moto2 class of MotoGP racing, and so although this is a larger, much more powerful version of the 765, the engine layout and DNA of the motorcycle are familiar. I hope you enjoy what Nick has to say about the bike. In the second segment, I get to chat with one of my best friends, the man who bought a MotoGP bike, Mr. Caminco. Caming is a pretty successful guy, with an overwhelming passion for motorcycles. Here he tells us about how he came to acquire Valentino Rossi's Ducati GP11, and what he's done with it. Fascinating stuff. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Okay, so uh, so Nick, thanks for thanks for joining us. Um, I believe you got to ride the uh, the Triumph Speed Triple recently. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it's the Speed Triple is kind of a staple for Triumph, and so I was pretty excited to get some time on that because the previous iterations have always been fun, and uh, the 1050 variant that this new bike replaces. You know, if we're totally honest, was getting a little long in the tooth. Um, when you look at the, you know, rest of the, the sort of super naked class. And it's interesting because this V triple kind of kicked off that whole, you know, hooligan street fighter naked bike. Super know, naked. Yeah. Thing yeah. Um, in the early nineties. So in 2022 for the U S market specifically triumph updated the speed triple with the 1200 RS. And it is all new from the ground up. And the kind of big thing about it is that it's managed to shed um, 22 pounds overall. 22 pounds. Also increased horsepower a little bit and uh, just increased power in the mid range and top end as well. Um, so, yeah, it's 20, 22 pounds is, is huge. Oh, for sure. For sure. Where, 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 did that, where did that come from? Did that come out of the engine or, or is that just. There's no way they saved 22 pounds in just chassis. No, no, you're correct. So, um, you know, 15 pounds of it is lopped off from the engine. So the the updated larger displacement engine, despite it being you know a physically a larger displacement and more powerful power plant, it is 15 pounds lighter than the previous iteration. And then the rest of the weight is shed from the chassis and other components. Um, okay. When you say larger displacement, what's it gone to now? It was a 1050, wasn't it? Yeah, now it's been bumped up to 1160. Wow, okay. So 110 cc's, that's 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 pretty significant. It is, it is. And, you know, very stereotypical of the, the Triumph Triple, it's just insanely smooth. And that's sort of my takeaway from the bike as a whole is just refinement, refinement, refinement. And really, if I look at Triumph, motorcycles just overall that's something that the brand has really really achieved in the past handful of years where they deliver a product that just feels extremely refined from its fit and finish the riding experience um and then just the the whole 
aspect of riding a bike. It's an extremely refined, smooth engine down to the shifting, the throttle actuation, the throttle connection. Everything about it is just very, very refined and mature, which is really cool in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so what's the um, electronics? Is it now, you know, is it now a more sophisticated motorcycle? Definitely. Um, the the previous generation, so the the ten fifty RS, um, it had you know the same uh, suite of electronics, and this one um, also boasts an IMU uh, supported uh, electronics package. So you have you know lean angle detecting traction control. Uh, cornering ABS, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, because the speed triple is a street bike and we only tested at the racetrack, you know, you have to kind of think about how you know, like, uh, electronics work in that environment. So instead of giving you all of the, you know, range of adjustments that you'd see on the modern superbike where you get multi-leveled uh, cornering ABS and, you know, traction control, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which can become really kind of overwhelming. It's just packaged into uh, easy, easy modes, essentially. And um, from that perspective, as a street rider, I really like that. And because you know this is a track day bike, it's kind of the same same ethos in, in my mind. Where you know I'm just out there to have fun, and to be honest, I don't really care about having you know a million layers of adjustment. I just want to go out there on on my bike and have as much fun as possible. In the shortest amount of time and not worry about anything now that said um in in talking about the electronics specifically i would say that they did a really good job for performance riding applications you know the track level traction control is just about where i'd want it you could get on the gas super aggressively you'd see the light come on and not necessarily feel it in in pretty much most applications the only time you'd really feel it is when you did something silly like open the throttle way too much at too aggressive of a lean angle and that's when you want traction control <laughs> so that's all right. um and then in the lowest level, insurance for ham-fisted uh ham-fisted throttle applications from novices like us yeah definitely exactly you know or if you decide you want to uh, chase a guy that um has won the isle of man and um you know <laughs> you, you somehow get this idea that you can keep up with them and you just quickly realize you cannot so there's that. Which guy was that? Who is that? Um, that was a uh, Mark Miller was out there with us. Okay, right. So, <laughs> right. He's a fast dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, no, I cannot keep up with him. It's uh, surprising. I know. Well, cool. So you keep talking about the RS. So that the RS is the top of the range model, isn't it? Uh, correct. Presumably, they have an S and a um, and just as a standard or something. Do they? Uh, typically, that. That would be how they present the model. However, in this case, with the speed triple, um, and according to Triumph, they have only gone with the the twelve hundred RS. So instead of providing the, you know, uh, more streetable S versions or the you know slightly more sporty uh, R version, they're only offering this bike in the full, you know, full regalia RS trim which comes with all the bells and whistles, you know, fully adjustable Olin suspension, um, quick shifter, auto blipper, and, uh, you know, some other bits and bobs that are typical or typically associated with the, the RS bikes. Um, 
and that's just based on consumer feedback and, and what that buyer typically wants. So yeah, it's, it's narrowed down to the RS model exclusively. Wow. Do they, do they have a claimed horsepower and torque numbers on it or? They do. Um, so going back to the engine for a second, you know, we're looking at claimed, uh, horsepower figures of 177 horsepower and 92 foot pounds of torque. Wow. Okay. That's, uh, that's pretty serious. It is. It's it's a lot of horsepower. And when you look at the the kind of super naked class overall, you have certain models that break into the 200 horsepower range, um, like the Ducati Street Fighter. And, um, you know, I, I really kind of feel like that 177, you know, just north of that, you know, it's serious, serious horsepower for sure. But in this chassis, in this in this application, it doesn't become extremely overwhelming because of how that power is made. It's not overly peaky or aggressive. You know, you do get some good bottom end power. Um, and then that you just get huge, huge mid range. And then you have lots of uh, top end power to play with as well. And, um, you know, the 200 horsepower is a lot, of, a lot of power to deal with. So, you know, looking at the power figures alone, yeah, it's not as much as the Street Fighter and stuff like that, but I uh, got to be honest, uh, 177 horsepower is plenty for me. So I think we're good. It, it, is, it is plenty. And especially if it's in a lightweight package. I mean, if how how is the bike's handling? I mean, is it does it feel overly light or, or overly heavy? I mean, is it neutral handling? I mean, it's got Olin suspension, so it's presumably pretty good. Yeah, I mean, ride quality because of the, you know, the the Olin suspension uh, quite good overall the bike feels extremely balanced it's just one of those kind of typical triumph experiences for me where i wouldn't say it's the most nimble of the the super nakeds um i would kind of point that claim towards the street fighter um but well maybe even the tuono maybe uh, i would say it's it's a little easier handling than the, the tuono but it's extremely balanced and kind of every every way. So under hard braking, you know, tipping the bike in, it's a very balanced machine, very poised, very stable. And, um, you know, it doesn't go too hard in one direction or the other, which I just think is something that, that the consumer will really enjoy about this bike. So is it the most nimble motorcycle in the class? No. Is it the slowest steering motorcycle in the class? Absolutely not. And not even by a, a long shot that's something that that i do really enjoy about it is you can put the bike where you want it and everything about it is just a very controlled you know arc into the apex and you can adjust your line and uh, overall in in that sense it's just just a good sweet handling chassis everything that i'm i'm hearing it's kind of i'm thinking user friendly user friendly is that is that accurate i would i would say so and you know if we Again, if we keep talking about just the, the triumph ethos overall, I think that's something that that sort of underpins a lot of their bikes is, again, they don't go too hard in one direction or the other. So it's not pure performance or you know pure street or anything like that. And they, they try to strike a good balance with most, if not all, of their offerings. And what that really amounts to is user friendliness. And um, compounding the handling, um, is the fact that the riding position has been updated for the speed triple. So you do have a noticeably larger handlebar. It's actually on the wider side. And with that, 
comes, you know, a decent amount of leverage. And you've ridden Chuck Wallace Valley Raceway numerous times. And it's a very tight technical track. It's definitely not a horsepower track by any any means. And um, that handlebar just gives you all the leverage you need. So, you know, we rode at the racetrack in a counterclockwise configuration. So as you're coming out of the bowl, okay. I can't remember what turn number that is. You come out of the bowl and then you go up into that that right left chicane up the hill. Right. And I just vividly remembering having tons of leverage on the bike and stability to just pitch the thing up the hill as aggressively as I wanted to. And, um, you know, so you can manhandle it and get away with it. No problem. <laughs> and, uh, or you can just sit back and get the bike in the direction that you want and just have a nice relaxing track day. So it's, uh, it, it's a, it's a well-rounded machine in, in that regard. Okay. Um, so, uh, what, what tires were, were on it? So because it's the RS and typically with the RS trims from Triumph, it comes with all of the bells and whistles. Um, we're seeing the Metzler Racetech RR tire, which is the equivalent to say a Dunlop Q4, uh, Prelli track day or yeah, Prelli. Prelli TD, yeah. Yeah, Prelli super course of something, something track day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. it's a very sticky compound, street legal. Uh, I would say it's a fair weather tire. Uh, all of those tires are in that. You should probably only ride them in the dry. But uh, um, yeah, for a track day, you know, you can just go out, rip laps and uh, have fun without tire warmers or, you know, you don't have to worry about anything. Just set your PSI and go for it. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, uh, what, were the, what were the brakes like? Does it come with Brembo's or, or something else? It does. It comes with Brembo M50s. Um, so... You know, M50s are kind of the the top tier stuff uh, yeah. <clears throat> for the consumer market at the moment, and you know, feel is really good. And then you also get the ratio adjustable Brembo MCS uh, master cylinder, so you can change the the actual brake feel with just a few roll clicks, and that makes uh, quite a bit of difference. So when you're on the track, you can set it up to be super aggressive and have you know immediate bite. And if you're out on the street, you can back that off a little bit and just make it, you know, softer for the slower paces or urban riding. So, so that's a, a very cool feature. Right, right. They've really updated the looks on it. I mean, they've kind of um, sort of lost the sort of the crazy bug eye look. Actually, sort of did that a couple of generations ago. But, um, but I really like the looks on it. What, what did you think of the styling updates? Yeah, I mean, they're. You know, Triumph does always does a good bit, good job of kind of keeping the thread, you know, the, the stylistic threads in the bikes. So it, it still has the bug eye headlights, but they're a lot sharper these days. You know, the fuel tank is just much more sleek and felt. And overall, um, the bike is much more relative to the the 1050 visually than it is to anything else in the long you know, speed triple history. If you go back to the, the uh, 93 94 model the original um but yeah I, i'm i'm a fan of it it still has you know the the tubular aluminum chassis that's that's always been a, a staple of, of the aesthetics of this bike but uh, yeah it's I, I i really enjoy this bike it's 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 got like a nice little predatory stance it's kind of hunched over and aggressive so right. yeah I, i've 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 always dug the looks of this thing and and 
I, I will say that it's also kind of the most unique in the class in that sense. And uh, it's, it's maintained a good, a good portion of its identity as well. Good, good. I guess the, the sort of, I mean, I know you've ridden the street triple and, and, and I've ridden it extensively and everybody absolutely just loves that bike. If, if somebody's thinking of a street triple and they're sort of casually thinking about, oh, you know, maybe I could step up to the, the speed triple. Is there any sort of comparison between the two bikes or, or are they really radically different machines? Or, or is the speed triple just simply the street triple, but just, you know, with more horsepower, sort of bigger, heavier, and more horsepower? How, how do they compare? To, to answer the question directly, yes and no. <laughs> um, if we were to believe the marketing literature, you know, at, it, at its face value, one of the things that, that Stuart Wood mentions uh, while we were, you know, being presented with this model is that they really wanted to harness the street triple um, handling abilities. So um, the feeling of a, a quote unquote middleweight motorcycle and, uh, you know, the chassis characteristics of a middleweight motorcycle in a leader bike, you know, capacity. And to that end, you know, I would say that there, there's some success to that. But the, the reality is you can't make a leader bike handle like a middleweight because you, you're dealing with significantly more horsepower. There's always going to be weight issues as well. And you just have different physics at play on a leader bike than you do a street triple. I mean, the crank, for example, on a leader bike engine is noticeably heavier. That's more rotating mass. It will never really handle the same way no now that said and and having said that both crankshafts are rotating forwards are they neither of them have contra rotating cranks or reverse correct ones. so these are you know like 95 percent of the motorcycles on the market these have okay. forward rotating crankshafts um and you know it's it's one of those things where you're like okay well i understand that you guys wanted to make the leader bike handle like the middleweight did you do it well, let's just throw that idea out of the window because I, I would rather focus on the bikes themselves. And really, does this, this speed triple handle better than the 1050? Yes, I would say it, it's, it's easier steering, pl more planted, and just easier riding all around. Does it handle like a middleweight? No, not quite. But the weight loss does help significantly. Sure. Um, and then if you're talking about horsepower, well, you know, the engine characteristics are pretty familiar, you know, pretty similar. You've ridden the, and spent a lot of time with the street triple. So it still has that really revvy nature, which is what the speed triple has here. That thing loves to spin up. Right. You just get more of it essentially. So you just have a lot more powerful mid range, a lot more top end. It's just kind of a more uh, exciting experience. And if you're on a racetrack where you can really wind the thing up, you know, that's where you can actually put it through its paces. I would say between the street, the modern, the modern street triple and the modern speed triple, there is some linearity. So, you know, climbing the ladder between the two is probably a little bit closer together these days in terms of riding experience. But the, the speed triple, you know, we're talking about a leader bike with some serious horsepower and it feels like a leader bike. It's got, you know, the kick of a mule and <laughs> <laughs> that's how it is. And it, it's a different experience. It's relative, but it, it is undeniably unique to that bike okay so <clears throat> obviously enjoying it on the track um but is this a good street bike i mean i mean is the throttling smooth i mean at 
it's difficult on a track because you don't get to ride it at sort of slow, sensible, normal speeds. But is your sense that 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 the bike is refined and will just make a great street bike? Because uh, let's be honest, there's a huge part of the market that never see a track. Yeah. Um, yeah. They want a sport bike on the street. They want a really capable street bike. And then does this fit the bill? Yeah, I, I would. I would say you know let's put an asterisk next to this part of the commentary for me because I haven't rid it on the street. But what I did do to try and understand what it would do on the street is just write it in the various modes. Um, so it has four, four riding modes total. So you have track, sport, road, and rain. And um, something that brands like Triumph, Ducati, and Aprilia have done really well in the past number of years is just really kind of lead the way with their uh, ride-by-wire throttle responses. So in this case, the throttle response in all modes is just very smooth. You get a very good connection to the rear wheel. Um, I particularly like track, but also I felt that a sport, sport and road were, were, you know, totally applicable for their uses. They seemed very sensible to me and track was just, you know, fun. In fact, track and sport, if I remember correctly, share a throttle map. And, you know, the, the intervention levels between those modes made perfect sense to me as well. I will, um, mentioned about the bike is that if you think about the speed triple as a as a whole as a street bike you know this thing is a uh, known for doing wheelies and that's wheelie aficionados really love this thing. it's not the wheelie happy monster that i i kind of thought it would be um and i don't know if that comes down to chassis geometry or uh, electronic intervention but it, it, it's just not this 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 insane hooligan um and to in order to turn off wheelie control you also have to disable um TC at the same time. So if you are one to, you know, hoist your, your speed triple towards, towards uh, the sun, you're going to have to disable, uh, you know, all the, all the nannies, which you can do from the dash. But, you know, as a street bike, I would say you're in a good direction. It's a very sporty chassis, um, extremely sporty. You have, uh, you know, heavy duty Olin's uh, fork and shock, really good chassis. Um, fully adjustable so you can soften it up for the street uh, per your needs but i would see this being a very good street bike overall um as as is tradition for the speed and street triple for that matter right right um i mean i take it it's pretty comfortable um so if you feel like doing a bit of distance on it you, you can yeah you know, upright riding position i mean not much wind protection i'd imagine no no i mean no wind protection to speak of um you know, so you'll take it to the chest pretty good bit, but you know, like, like naked bikes in this class, people are going to use them for a lot of different things. You're going to, you know, commute to work on Fridays and go to the canyons and, you know, do some extended trips and toss up a luggage on it or, you know, a backpack or something like that. And invariably probably go to a track day at some point. So, you know, they're, they're the jack of all trades. And overall, you know, I think someone would be very happy with this package. It's, it's, the speed triple really through and through as track capable as it is, it is a street bike. So you're probably buying it from that perspective. And I would say that a lot of the, the things that I experience on the racetrack, it's very balanced chassis, you know, how aggressively you can ride it um, will apply to slower street paces pretty easily. Um, so it, it's not a one dimensional beam. And that's very important for a naked bike because well, it needs to do a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Okay. <clears throat> um, do you know offhand uh, what the price is? 
I mean, approximately? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, price for the RS is 18.6. So it has gone up with, uh, you know, pricing. Um, it's not unheard of for the class overall. Uh, when you look at things like the KTM Super Gar, um, Aprilia 210, 1100, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it is getting up there. And, you know, that that is kind of a, a thing to consider. But, you, get a lot. you know, that, that's where we are in terms of market pricing. Um, and you get a lot of your money by the sound of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wish it was cheaper. I wish everything was cheaper. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're looking, when you're thinking about this bike and its competitors, you're really looking at uh, the European uh, motorcycles. So you're, you're, you are paying a premium. You're looking at the BMW S1000R, Ducati Street Fighter, uh, KTM Super Duke R, Prilia Tuono, and things of that nature. So, you know, the very feature-rich European motorcycles, that's what it's really competing against directly. On the other side, you'd have the Japanese offerings, which may or may not do a lot of things uh, better or worse than this bike. You know, we'd really need to do a, a back-to-back comparison to make some some very certain comments about stuff like that. But um, yeah, yeah, it is. It is Triumph, Triumph as a brand. I mean, they've they, they've really um, carved out a niche for themselves. You know, coming up with these just slightly unique offerings. You know, once they started going to, you know, three cylinder engines and doing all the sort of the retro classic part of their range, I think Triumph have really, really developed their brand really well. And and interestingly, they to me, they've definitely become um, one of the slightly more exotic, exotic ones. They're uh, like you say, like the European. There's a lot of lot of riders out there. You know, as good as Japanese bikes are, they sort of don't want to own a Japanese bike. They want to own something a little more exotic. And so they're looking at, like you say, Ducatis, Aprilias, KTMs, what have you. Um, and I think Triumph have managed to sort of fit themselves in with part of that group. Um, so there is definitely a sort of an exotic attached to the Triumph brand now as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would definitely support that statement. And I also feel that that aspect of the the purchasing experience is sort of represented physically in the fit and finish of the motorcycle overall. I mean, Triumph really does a good job of that. And that's something that we've talked about in reviews and podcasts prior with Triumph Motors or motorcycles specifically. Yeah, so color color instrument displays and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, just even moving beyond that, I mean, every, every bolt is machined and just if it's a, a touch point or something like that, it just feels very exquisite. I mean, the seat, for example, when we brought up the riding position mm-hmm. earlier, it's you know it's double stitched and has you know it's sculpted nicely and everything's you know comfortable and it's overall these these bikes at this price point are you know very uh, very well 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 refined at this point, um, which is something that that this bike does you know. Sorry, kind of got off track. Something that this bike um, sort of exemplifies. Terrific. So, sounds like uh, overall it was a really, it's a, they've they've really hit the mark and uh, really improved this sort of next generation of of speed triple. It really sounds like a like a a big jump forward. Yeah, you know, on on the racetrack, um, awesome track day bike, easily. Um, 
you know, the, the verdict is still out for the street ride because we haven't taken it out there yet. Um, definitely would love to do that. As far as improvements to the bike, um, the only negative thing that I really noticed was with the auto blipper. So as you go to downshift aggressively, if you treat it like a super bike auto blipper and try to bang down the gearbox, you will have to wait for the revs to settle a little bit because of over rev protection. But again, it's more of a street bike. So you're not really supposed to uh, do that. Um, yeah, overall, I'm impressed with this thing. And I would love to do, see how it stacks up against the, the rest of its direct competitors. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. All right. Well, Nick, thank you so much. Really appreciate your thoughts on the, on the new Triumph Speed Triple RS. No worries. Thanks. Okay, well, thanks, Nick. I appreciate your thoughts on the uh, Triumph Speed Triple. Okay, so for this second segment, as promised, I get to chat with uh, one of my very best friends. He is uh, Kaminko, the man who bought a MotoGP bike. Yes, he actually bought one of Valentino Rossi's uh, Ducati GP11s from back in the day. So it's a heck of a motorcycle. Kaming is a, he's a successful guy. He's got an overwhelming passion for motorcycles. And here he gets to tell us about how he came to acquire the bike and all the crazy stuff he's done with it. Anyway, hope you enjoyed this segment. Matey, yeah. thank you so much. What I'm really interested in hearing is, is your story on the MotoGP bike. I mean, we've got, you know, Rossi is in the news right now. He's, uh, everyone's talking about, you know, maybe retiring or not. And, you know, so, so tell me the story of, of how you, how this came about. How did it come about? Well, I, you know, actually I think, you know, any um, sport by enthusiast, right, would, uh, if they have an opportunity, right, they, they'd be interested to have a MotoGP bike, right, if they could afford it, have the connection or whatever, so on, right? right. And, um, and I've been involved on and off racing, you know, since uh, the mid-70s. And uh, so I knew a lot of people. Long story short, in 2002, at one of Ducati Ref America, and I met Larry Pegram, and he was selling a couple of 996 RS uh, AMA civil bikes. So I got involved with him. You know, Larry talked you into sponsoring this and that. He's the only man that I know that uh, every paycheck he got from racing, somehow he ended up with, you know, two paychecks. You know, somehow or another, he never spent a penny. Always, <laughs> but anyway, so I end up sponsoring him, right, for the dirt track and so on. Anyway, right. we started the superbike program, and uh, I met the people from Ducati. And, ah, okay. And so that's how it came about. So I met the principal uh, in in Italy, and uh, because me being uh, the this is Paolo Giabatti. Yes, right. and uh, and he was really helpful, and and so on. So anyway, yeah, so fast, fast forward 20 years later, you know, or 15 at least, and we did, I think, in between five seasons with Ducati, right, including uh, right. from Extremes, and also this later on, I think, in 90, no, 79, that, no, not 79, I apologize, uh, 2009. Right. And I'm old, I'm old, I'm real. So, <laughs> so, my memory's fading. 
Um, so anyway, in 2009, we got um, a super bike to run AMA. And uh, so anyway, so it defies season. Anyway, so this has got to be, oh, shit, 2013 maybe. I was at Indianapolis. And um, just, yeah, but, uh, when, did, when did Rossi actually ride for Ducati? He did two years. Yeah, 2011, 2012. Okay. So, so what happened was... Problem was, it wasn't so much a Rossi or Nikki, you know, at the time. It was just an opportunity to, to get a MotoGP bike because you can't get that from Kawasaki. You cannot get it from Honda. And so, right. However, I do have a source to get a Kawasaki, and hopefully, I can get it. But <laughs> <laughs> Kawasaki MotoGP bike from yep. the MotoGP days. Yes. Wow, that's a rare beast. That's yeah. going to be. Yeah. 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 That's, that would be like an 04 or an 05, yeah, maybe? Yeah, Nakano, all those guys, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but anyway, that's a whole another subject. But anyway, <laughs> right. so to me, that's probably more rare, and I'll tell you why. Because Ducati, through the years, they um, sold all the um, um, uh, Superbike, factory Superbike, they sold all the GP bike, which Japanese hold on to theirs. Now, prior to MotoGP, the two-stroke, era you know they used to sell them they crush them they give it to the the the, <laughs> right. the, 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 the uh, champion you know whoever rode for them they get a ticket sure so but those days pretty much almost over not 100 percent, but it's almost over because you've got a couple of ducati super bikes as well haven't you yes 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 yeah. um yes so so they're all available you can get from from ducati and uh, the gentleman that bought the real mccoy is an english fella billionaire you know um uh, o'neill by Tony O'Neill. He's the one that have connection with Ducati. Basically, he he would buy, if whatever the new model comes out and they're going to fade out the early model, he would take all the spares, everything with it. So he had a deep pocket and Ducati, he's the number one. He, he has right. the first refusal, okay, for everything. Right. So, so anyway, so long story short, where when I was in Indy, and just oh curiosity, and knowing that Ducati do sell their GP bikes, and then I asked Paolo in the garage, is it possible to get one? He gave me a little stare. Maybe <laughs> 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 this glazed. Yeah, it, it did. <laughs> it was kind of glazed, uh-huh. kind of smile, and smile a little more, and he go maybe, right. So I left that maybe mean, oh, it's possible, right? Yeah. And um, so so I don't remember, I can't recall exactly what, when, and eventually the conversation led into he has two that he can you know, let go to sell me. And so so I remember at that time, it wasn't about Rossi or Nikki. It was w- which model? He said GP11. Right. So I said, oh, okay. And uh, I go, which one? GP11 as in 2011. Yeah, 2011, right. which were uh, 800 cc's. Okay. So that's when Nicky and Rossi were teammates, right? Right. And now, at the time, I, again, I wasn't thinking about who's buys what. So I, I go, like, kind of, I guess, uh, immature. And I just go, well, I like to have one of each. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
What is better than a MotoGP bike is a pair of MotoGP bikes. Exactly, right? And of course, you know, I can't really afford both of them. And, um, and um, so a dear friend of mine, uh, Jerome, right? And he said, well, he said, he'd like to have one. So great. Right. That, that, makes, perfect. that makes it perfect. So, so that was how it came about. Now, recently, there was some drama uh, over um, the, the authenticity, who's right or work on those right. bikes. And the rumors start going crazy. Those are bins by the parts by people just rumor flying, right? This and, was recent? Yes, a couple months ago. And what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened was um, I got a, uh, a message from Paolo Cipate, right? Right. Because my friend Jerome was trying to sell his to an auction, which is a big no-no, I guess, uh, to Ducati. And I have, oh. I have no idea. I have no idea what was going on. Well, but I, in like 2004 or five, mm-hmm. Capi Rossi's bike was sold at an auction. Yeah, but not by Ducati, I don't think. No, not by Ducati. Yeah. So Ducati, what Paolo said to me, I still have his texts, were those bikes only offer to collectors. It's not to be auctioned off. Basically, once you do that, you're no longer part of the Ducati family in his mind. He didn't say it like that. You can sense it. Right. I was taken back because he's been my friend for 20 years. Right. And I was like, oh my God. I said, Paolo, I have no idea. I said, I'm not selling my bike. I have absolutely zero idea what's happening. So immediately, right, I contact uh, the people, the auctioneer trying to sell it. Right. And I said, listen, I said, um, apparently, uh, I am told these bikes, okay, are not to be sold in auctions. It's for collectors only, number one. Number two, you can't mislead people that Nicky was the writer on the bike because he was not the writer on that bike. That bike was Nicky and, and Rossi. It's only the liveries, okay? And, but they are factory motorcycles, so you better contact Ducati directly, okay? Right. So, so after that, I kind of left it, and, uh, and uh, the auctioneer contacted them. They, I think uh, they sent them some, uh, some letter uh, uh, stating they were actual GP by from Ducati. They're not parts by it, okay? No. So, so something tells me it may have been, you know, satellite team by they got back. And then they just painted the different livery for me because I said I want one of each. You know what I mean? Well, well, every every MotoGP bike is a parts bike by the nature of it. Yeah. Because they manufacture, you know, several chassis, and they're allowed what is it, six engines a year? Eight. Back in those days, I think it was eight engines. Yeah, eight. Yeah. So they manufacture for for one guy. They manufacture eight engines. Actually, they probably manufacture 10 or 12 engines and then, you know, homologate the best eight or whatever. <clears throat> but anyway, so you have, so every every rider in every team has eight engines and prob- I would imagine probably four or five chassis. Certainly, I mean, you've got to have two. Well, okay. Here, and, and then there's probably a couple of spares. And then throughout throughout the season, they're constantly swapping all the bits out. Okay. And so every MotoGP bike, it's like, it's like the fisherman's old knife, isn't it? That's had 
lots of blades and several new handles. Oh. You know, I mean... Now, I, I'm going to fill you in some of the things most people don't know. And that's why a lot of time... I've been in this thing now back in the mid-70s, okay? Right. Any race team, car, buy, whatever, they travel internationally, okay? Bring the equipment in, they'll bring it back out. Right. So there's two things had numbers on it. It's the engine and the VIN number, okay? Okay. So when the race team is international racing, each of those components has almost like a passport. That's a word for it. I can't remember what they call it now. And so what happened in the, the, the... Like a manifest or something. Yeah, and they've stamped the thing. When they come in, they don't charge you any tax. And then oh, you, you can take it out. They stamp it. They know Provide, Provided the numbers match. Exactly. So what happens? So when they, when they, they ship spare parts, the frame would not have numbers on them. Okay. Right. So what they do because that the same little passport for that motorcycle complete when they bend the frame, they stem they put a sticker on the new frame so it match to match the passport basically. Right. Okay. Right. So so that's a little thing that people don't even know. Okay. For example, I have a superbike that uh, Larry raised and um, and he needed. Um, uh, he want to update the frame because uh, after a couple of seasons, the frame you know, lose uh, integrity, the material. When new frame came, okay, same VIN number. They get a new sticker for it. Right. Okay. When I had a uh, SPS uh, years ago and I had a horrific crash that destroyed my whole body. But anyway, Ducati did the same thing. They get a new frame and I used the same VIN number. Oh. Okay, so so because that VIN belonged to the SPS. Okay, I see. so so a lot of people don't understand. Yeah, they have a bunch of frame. For example, I remember Jorge Lorenzo was running for Ducati. Sure, he was averaging. They were testing a new frame about I think every six weeks. He got a new frame to try it out. Right until he found the one that worked for him, and which right. it did. By the way, it's a right. shame. Shame they didn't work out. Sure. But anyway, so get back to the MotoGP bike. What happened is I'm so rooted in the, in the racing and inside. When I watch races, listen to story, I have a completely different sense than someone watching the races because I know some of the behind the scene how things work. Right? Right, right. So when I acquired the GP bike, it think about this. I grew up in 19, well, you know, the mini bike in 1968, 69, whatever it was, and, and rode my first bike, I think, a Honda 90, right, in 1970, right. right? It was my first bike. Was it? Yeah, Honda 90. Yeah, so. 1968, mine was. Yeah, well, well mine was, I'm sure, 68, but it was a friend of mine's 90. I don't know how to ride on. All right. But anyway, so through the years, right, um, most bikes we got is production bike, but at the time, you can buy a production Grand Prix bike from Yamaha. Basically, it's a street bike with a, a git kit, they call it, and with a bigger carburetor and a different piston or barrel and with a chamber, right, and, and, and make a production racer. Or they put a git kit into a aluminum gas tank with clip-on, a fairing, a solo seat, and with no lights on it, that's your, you know, uh, TD, whatever, 350 or TZ, whatever, right, later on and a, a TR. But anyway, but those days are gone. Right. Those days are long gone. 
that you, you don't get, well, first of all, your street bike almost erased by anyway. We, just so I got to take off the light on how to ride it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but none of that, it is a Grand Prix bike. A Grand Prix bike, a single purpose, purpose built factory Grand Prix bike. And right. you've seen my, my, my GP11. When your fairing's off that thing, you go, sweet mother of God. <laughs> who, who thought of all that? It is complicated as hell, isn't it? It is so complicated. And, and to me, it's such a privilege to have that open up in my room and staring at it. Right. And then, of course, now you, you and I both wrote, I can talk about this now because I read my contract again right. and I th it's okay after six years. Okay. So, okay. so I can talk about it. Right. And the reason I read my contract because the whole thing, the episode happened two months ago. Right. And then I go, oh my God, you know, what happened? Open the can of worm. And so I look at it, so I was okay. But anyway, so, so um, anyway, so it's been six years. So when we rode the bike, as you know this, Although even the mapping, they put it on the you know the slow mo this and that, but the <laughs> right. but the way the thing turned, the way, yes, yes, there is no street bike feels like it. No, no, no. I was I was surprised how rideable it was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other than the noise, mm -hmm. I mean, it literally sounded like the world was coming to an end. I mean, I had full on earplugs and I couldn't hear myself think, mm. but. But I was shocked at how, I don't want to say easy it was to ride. I mean, easy at my pace, which is yeah. half of Rossi's pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, as we got used to it, I mean, yeah. going around Button Willow, I mean, my God, that thing was fast. That, the way that just took off. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I think the way the power rate ratio, like, I was talking to a former mechanic from Ducati Corsa for the GP. Right. The GP11... The 800, at that time, on the race mode, for the back in the qualifying mode, it goes to 22,000 RPM at 240 horsepower. Okay, wow. at, at, at the crank, whatever, right? Right. And, and then on, when they set it on, on that's on qualifying mode, but on race mode, they, uh, they go to 20,000 RPM, and that engine will go... 2,000 kilometers because they have eight engines for the season. Right. They set mine at 17,000 RPM. So the mechanic said to me, he go, that thing's going to last your lifetime. He <laughs> 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 goes, they're reliable. They, 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 they stress test that thing, you know, because they have limitations, right? Right. There's another thing I learned about uh, a Grand Prix vehicle car suit I involved in car racing in the past also right. so learn some of the that Grand Prix is the the pinnacle and for the engineer to exercise their their, their, their knowledge their dream or their sure. little tricks right so sure. and and when Ducati came out with the monocoque design on the GP 11 okay or 10 11 what I was right I started with and they got into the carbon fiber, and the rumors has it, oh, that thing don't handle this thing because it's too stiff, this and that. All those things, it's true up to a point. But without someone like Ducati or Ferrari and, or Mercedes getting involved racing, we, 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 uh, 
our vehicle would never be uh, uh, progressed the way it is today. All the electronic, everything else, right? So the trial and error and so on. Well, but anyway, what 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 I what I learned also, especially in motorcycle. The rider had tremendous amount influence on the motorcycle. Right. So, from the day when I first started riding motorcycle, compare the motorcycle today. They, um, the, what I what I found, uh, here's my opinion. I'm not engineer, but I I've been involved for forty some years of this thing. Right. A, a motorcycle is not, not like a car. A car, you know, you can make adjustment. This and that. So it's a bike, but the thing is, a rider can adjust himself. So when people go, well, Rossi and Nicky cannot ride that, the mountain car bike, well, Stoner were winning on it, right? Right. So, so well, not the mountain car one, but, but he, wrote, he wrote okay on it, okay? He did okay, but he was definitely yeah, struggling falling a bit. Yeah. He was struggling a bit on the monocoque bike. It was on the trellis frame yes. that he won his championship. That's right. So what happened was, I had to talk with Stoner over that bike. Actually, when I was in Sipan, when he returned uh, to Tesla Ducati, and I go, I go, how was the bike? He go, well, it's okay, but it it, it, it needed more development, right? Right. And so that was that. But anyway, what I found interesting enough about how technology have changed and our riding technique change, right? And when we were young, riding the 650 Triumph, all the way was center and below the axle, the, the, the lump is right underneath it. Okay. So that lump become more like a sailboat, like, 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 a, like a, what do you call it, the keel, they call the it? The keel, like, okay. The keel. So when you turn the bike, this is pulling back. To, so when you go to the S, it's like, oh, that's easy. Right. Right? The problem with that is, when you're high speed, now remember back in those days, the bike wasn't as, as fast as today. Right. So it was people flicking it back and forth so easy. That's why people ride a GS Boxer, they can flick to the S's very quick, right, right. To, to the to, to the to the, the canyons. Right. Because the weight was in the bottom, it helps the rider, even if it's a ton, but you can do right. it. Flip. Yeah. The problem with that is that the bike with higher speed now, okay, with a with a higher gyroscope uh, uh, effect on the wheels and the crank and so on. Okay. So when you go to a set of S's and you're going to the turn, when you have a keyboard like this, it is hard to make that thing turn. It won't keep going straight. So I noticed they really bring the bike a little taller, put the weight, the weight a little higher. Right. So allow you to drop it in. Well, the problem is when you top heavy like that, you go to Essa, you better climb over like a monkey to throw the thing back up. <laughs> Just to bring it back the bring other way. Bring it back up because you sure. don't have a cue to help you out. Some of those things, are, it, it transformed to me is when I rode the electric motorcycle on a racetrack. Right. Because it's very top heavy, right? And I noticed what it takes to to transition it, right? Because so much weight on it. Sure. And and so anyway, so what the Moto GP by what I found the the stuff different by I roll, and it's a privilege really to to able uh, uh, sample so many different by all the way to the Moto GP, you know, technology, and it gave me a whole different perspective, you know about motorcycle, technique, tire, why, so on, why 16.5, why they do this, and why they run 16.5 inch wheels. Yes, in diameter, and why now they, they, now they run a 60 series tire to try to replicate what the 16.5 can do. Problem with 16.5, they lose ground clearance because the bike is too low, right? Okay. 
So, so it's always progressing, and um, and uh, I, I, I mean, I enjoy seeing all this and able to write it and uh, right, you know, right, right. So basically, so so going back to the the GP bike that you bought. So you bought the the Rossi bike and the and the Nikki bike. Mm -hmm. Sold the Nikki bike to to your friend, mm -hmm. and got the Rossi bike back. And then you managed to go and get it signed by the doctor. What I mean, how did you pull that off? Well, that was a great. That was it was funny. So so the bike they air freight the bike to the state, right? But they decommissioned it. They took all the fluid out. You can't put the but by on in 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 the airplane, so there's no battery, no oil, no gasoline, no nothing in it, right? And uh, so I spoke to Ducati. I said, "Listen, I gotta get this bike at least fired up. Get under my contract. I'm not supposed to ride these motorcycles, right?" But there's nothing there. You can't start it. Yeah, that's right. But you can start it and and basically exhibition show show them, right? Right. Kind of thing. So they go, okay, go go. Um, well, we're gonna be at Indy. And um, if you bring the bike up there on Thursday before the, the week start, we can get your bike service. This is for the MotoGP race? Yes, for the right, MotoGP race. the Indianapolis yes. MotoGP race. Okay. So I load the two by, I rented the van, I drove solo, nonstop, 800 miles a day. <laughs> and <laughs> With a Valentino Rossi and Ducati Nikki. in the back. Yeah, and Nikki, both. both I bought both bikes. Oh, you took both bikes? Yeah, okay. Nikki was going to sign the other one too. But but that's a whole separate story. He was there, but we spoke to him because I know Nikki. Right. But the thing is, he, he'd be bombarded with fan. He just don't want to... Once he get into his place, he don't want to walk out there. Because right. he, he cannot walk two feet without someone about And same with, with Rossi too. Sure. So, so that's why they always say a caretaker at the races to push everybody away, right? Right. But anyway, so long story short, so by getting service and stuff, so my, my friend, Chris uh, Honeyman, Honeyman, right. right? I think you know him, he's an English fella. They right. used to go to uh, John Ethel's shop. Okay. And uh, so, well, he used to supply coffee to all the team. Right? It's the coffee man. The coffee man. <laughs> okay. So he, so 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 all the motorhomes that for the team and the garages, he supplied coffee to them. And so he met the manager, the the the, the handler, you know, the, the or so on. So so he said to me, "Go, hey mate, would you like Rossi to sign your bike?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd love to." So <laughs> so before he knew it, all of a sudden he grabs me one day. He goes, this is so-and-so, so-and-so. And he goes, he's uh, Rossi's, um, I don't know, I guess, you know, the handle, handle him at the track, whatever. No, I don't think right. it was his manager. And right. so, so he spoke to him. He goes, about having Rossi sign the bike. He goes, yeah, sure. He said, uh, tomorrow at 9 a.m., uh, <laughs> meet at uh, uh, our trailer. I think it was 9 a.m., maybe early. I can't remember now. It's been a while. Anyway, so, so I go, well, how am I going to get there? Because they, they have their, their security, you know, right. you're not going to get to How are you going to wheel a MotoGP bike into the paddock? It's, forget the paddock. This is going to the motorhomes, right? This is where they, they, all the motorhomes uh, on the right. other side. So, so anyway, so I uh, went out. So next day, I showed up in the van. They won't let me go all the way in. So I parked outside a little bit in another parking lot. And I started unloading the bike. <laughs> and the security guy came up. 
We go, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I said, I'm told to meet Rossi here this morning. He's going to autograph my bike. No, you can't do that. <laughs> and then he, he want me to put the bike back in. So I go, come on. don't, don't. And next thing you know, there's an elder gentleman walk up. He goes, what's going on? So I said, well, I'm told by so-and-so to bring the bike here for Rossi to sign it. And he said, he grabs me by the shoulder. He go, I heard all about it, he said. <laughs> and he said, he go, you can go ahead and load your bike. He go, by the way, see the fans over there in the corner? He goes, it's not hooked. You know how they hook the fences right. with the pin? He goes, that one, you just swing open, you wheel the bike into his trailer, right in his motorhome. I go, really? So I go, what about, what about that, that guy told me I can't do that? He go, I'm in charge here. He worked for me. I go, oh, really? Who was it? Some guy in charge of that, that one area. Wow. He said he heard about it. He knew. He was fine. He, he was expecting me. He said, I don't know who told him. Maybe the coffee man. Maybe? Said, hey, I've got a buddy who's bought a MotoGP bike and he's going to have Rossi sign it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's it, crazy. Yeah, so we wheeled so, it. Yeah, we were right next so to So you just wheeled the bike around. Pop right next to the trailer. Unhooked the fans. Yeah. Got the bike in right next to Rossi's motorhome. Yep. And, and then you, what, like just banged on the door? No, we hey, just... Valentino. We, no, we sat there. Next thing I know, I saw a car came in. And then Rossi looked. And he's super tall. I never knew he was that tall. Yeah. So the fence is right there. He just stepped over the fence. <laughs> he didn't even leap or jump. He just stepped over it. <laughs> and uh, he was very friendly. And uh, immediately... and. Um, took pictures and autographed it and signed Daniel's helmet for me and and all that That's stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did he say anything about the bike? Did he say, well, i got to be honest with you, this bike doesn't bring back great memories or? No, actually my friend, <laughs> our mutual friend, Chris Nugent, said to him, he goes, hey, I, said, I bet you want to kick this bike, huh? <laughs> and, that, and then I, he said, look at him, didn't make any, you know, comment over that right. and uh he was uh super super friendly and uh friendly and professional i mean he's not going to bad mouth ducati are an italian manufacturer he's not going to bad mouth them is he no 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 that, no that like i said that wasn't even you know it was such it was such um an honor you know to have him sign the motorcycle with with, uh, with all his livery <laughs> and all that and um and you know it, it just um how was, you know that we have so many levels, right? In in um, in racing, and it's only few people have have achieved, you know, what Rossi have done. And reason sure. why I want to have a Rossi livery GP bike is because Rossi, nine-time world champion, accomplished yeah. more than anyone else. Like as much as we've been we, we've been cheering for Mark Marquez, and with his injury now, I hope to God he come back, but. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you oh, know, he'll be back. He's oh, only 28 years old, isn't he? I understand. Yeah. But again, when you have horrible injury like that, yeah. uh, how many you got now? Six or eight uh, championship? Six, right? Eight. 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 eight times more champion, yeah. So he need two more to beat Valley. Right. He could do it. Oh, he'll do it easily, I would say. Yeah. You know, he's young. Um, at the test this, this week, uh, what was it? Uh, yesterday. Apparently, he put in the most laps of anybody. He did like 78 laps or something. Getting stronger, yeah. Yeah, 
he's getting stronger. That's yeah, why you so need it's just, it. It's just a physical thing, but but I, I mean, yeah, it remains to be seen whether he said that all the other riders have definitely made a step forward. Oh, I can so see that too. You can see that there's some fast guys out there. I mean, Quattararo and you know these guys are fast. You know, you do realize that that level of racing, the first five, six, seven guys, the difference between one become champion, one isn't, especially in consistency, right. it's up here and mentally. Because they all, they have the skill for it. Yeah. And I think one, one, one reason why they, 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 I think, they are um, step up, because all of a sudden they know Mark Marquez could be beaten. Number right. one, number two, they've been they've been switching uh, uh, winners last season. Different people won, so they all now they go. I can win. So Sunday now when you go, Sunday I can win. <laughs> right. That that makes there's a world of difference between thinking you can win and knowing you can win. That's right. So so yeah. I think now, so it's no host bar. I mean when it's, it's yeah. green, the the strategy would be. Okay, I must preserve the tire. I must do this and that. I must put, you know, uh, uh, a map one or two or three. Right. But the rest of it, they already know they can win. Yeah. They won before, yeah. so there's no question. Yeah. Okay. It's a very different strategy when you mentally. I mean, we all been there, been young before, and and we know that something we're confident about. Right. Forget it. Yeah. 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 You know. Yeah. So going back to your going back to your bike your MotoGP bike so when you actually rode it what's the thing that most what 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 was your first impression of it well first of all I was scared <laughs> <laughs> I know I was following you on my GX1000 remember <laughs> yeah. I've got GoPro video of you riding it I was scared um <laughs> then once I get acclimated with it and I learn uh learn a little bit about the carbon disc uh, actually, the carbon disc worked better than the early version that I tried before, but still need to be heated. But of course, we yeah. were not running hot, you know, hot enough to. Right. To, 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 it still to, worked okay. It worked okay, you know. If but I, it could be ten times better if I, if we man enough to really ride the bike. To really ride. <laughs> but um, oh, my first impression, I think, similar to yours is um, it was very easy. To be honest, really, it was easy bike to ride. It was, wasn't it? Okay. Tip. Okay. Here's, here's a I was also surprised how comfortable it was. But yeah. like you say, Rossi's a tall guy. Yeah. And he and I are actually about the same height uh -huh. and a, a similar sort of build. Leg room, so, everything. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, so I was kind of like, wow, this is actually quite comfortable. Yeah. Er ergonomically, yeah. right, it, it, was, uh, it was like very comfortable, right? Yeah. Now, here's the most recent experience I have, which is it, it's going to be a little off base, but, but in the same realm of conversation about my impression of my GB bike. Remember, I wrote this, G okay, the bike was designed 2011, and we got about 2013, we wrote it, something like that, right? right. 13 or 14, something like that. No, 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 it was like a month ago, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah exactly, yeah, 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 Woo! yeah. But, <laughs> but anyway, what happened is, recently, I wrote a new CBR 1000 R. Right. right, set up very nicely. Got the pipe, got all the mapping, all the stuff done. Right, and and I said to myself, my GP bike, it's easier to ride than this. And the reason is, 
No, okay, the power wave, okay, the, by the way, the Honda is super light, but right. but not as light as the GP11. Yeah. I think the GP11 is 145 kilo, right? Right, which is 320 pounds, a little less than that. Yeah. But anyway, so what happened is they built, uh, because the, the, the World Super by um, uh, regulation, so to make that inline work, they have to raise the RPM oil power band on top, get all the maximum horsepower. Right. So the the, the famous CBR 1000 low end torque, it's gone. Right. Gone. Yeah. You had to ride, which is the GP11, right off idle. It was so easy. It, it, it did. It had a lot of torque. Yeah. Didn't it? it felt like. Yeah, I mean, long before you actually rev it hard, yeah. it's actually producing good power. Yeah, I was like, when I jumped the Honda, I said to myself, it's easier for me to come out 2011 at Laguna Seca on my GP11 than on the CBR 1000 Triple R. Wow. Because when I come out on that, my, my bike is pulling, where the Honda's bog and bog and, and of course people change the gear engine. I get it, I get it. But... But anyway, it, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's a very easy bike to ride. It's not like anything we thought it would have been, no. you know, how difficult and so on. Yeah. i tell you what's a difficult bike to ride. When I raced the H2R, Kawasaki two-stroke, right. before they went to the KR series, which is oh. the KR, they had uh, the revals. Right. Mine had piston ports, which means they had this big 38 millimeter holes, right? <laughs> right, with, right. With, with no revalve, <laughs> and, and so so there's nothing and all of it. And then <laughs> right. <laughs> dude, dude, that so what, was, what year was that? That must have been like seventies, yeah, seventy four somewhere. Yeah. Seventy four. Okay. And that was like nothing, nothing, nothing. Everything. Everything. <laughs> whole all hundred horsepower nap. Right. <laughs> right. And and so I remember that thing. All you do really. There's no modulation like you do with the GP stuff, electronic stuff. There's none. Right. You, you, you on the brake, back shift everything, and then you full throttle out. It just shake, <laughs> just wobble, in the air, everything out of control. <laughs> right. but, but you know, then again, when you're 20 years old, yeah, and they all were like that. So it didn't matter. You, right. you roll it like that or you don't ride it all. That's what we knew at the time. Exactly, right? Yeah. But, but anyway, the GP bike, I think, like I said, the... the what I love the most is that I went through all the stages of, of development of the motorcycle from right. street bike, even written two stroke Grand Prix bike, and, and car, Formula car, I did all kinds of stuff. Right. And, and it's, it, it's, it is so refined, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it was. And um, it really was. I had a little bit of trouble with the gearbox. This was pre seamless gearbox days, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So I found the gearbox was, it had to be a little. You had to be very positive with it. It'd be, it's easy to miss gears if you. If yeah, I think, I think what I think I talked to one of the, another mechanic still working with Ducati, who remained nameless. And he, <laughs> he said um, it could be um, uh, the sensor, it, uh, a little bit programming. Ah, okay. To, to make, because what happened is if the timing's off by, by, by the quick shifter, Right. Like any other Christian. Like Remember, that's an early version, electronic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, if it's off by millisecond, it's going to be a little more difficult to shift. Right. And because I said to him, I go, hey, you know, I have trouble with like third gear. He go, listen. He go, there's nothing wrong with your, your, your bike. 
he go, if it works all the other gear on third, you have trouble doing up, up you know, like bang on it. Right. He go, it is just um, the timing, the, the adjustment. Okay. He said, he goes, he go, you should be able to adjust that. I go, yeah, well, how, you know? <laughs> right. We don't have <laughs> access to the software yeah. or anything. Well, you're not allowed the to. That, the thing that shocked me so much was I only did, uh, what was it, three or four laps or whatever it mm -hmm. was at Budden Willow. Mm -hmm. And we took away the cones so that we had that long, long, long straight away. Yeah. So instead of going left over the hill, we could just come out of Riverside, uh -huh. which is what, a hundred mile an hour corner or whatever That's it right. is, and then just have a long straight away. And by the third lap, I'd got my confidence up and I thought, okay, let's see what this thing is. So I came out of Riverside in third gear and I just wound it up, made sure the revs were right. And, and I, I don't know what speed I was doing because obviously there's no speedometer on it, but you know how we used to on super bikes, when you get to, I don't know, whatever speed it is, 150 mile an hour or something, the power starts to taper off. Mm -hmm. I mean, all these super bikes, they'll do 190 miles an hour or 200 miles an hour or whatever it is. But when they get over 150, it takes a while to accelerate to that. Mm -hmm. Even though you're still hanging on for dear life, it, they, they're starting to tail off. The MotoGP bike was the opposite. Yeah. And it got to whatever speed that was. And then all of a sudden, it was like the bike said, oh, okay, that's what you want. And it just took off. And it shocked me how at, at the point where I was expecting it to start to sort of run mm -hmm. out of steam was just about when it was getting started. It is because they, they put that thing at 17,000 because the power band from 17 to 22 is where, really where the horsepowers were. Right. And, uh, and uh, so I what- I have no idea what, horse, what, what, what revs I was at. I was revving it up pretty, pretty healthily, yeah. but this, it just took off. And I gotta tell you, it scared the living crap out of me. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. I tell you, it's a lot of fun, right? Because- um, It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Because, um, because when, again, you've been able to sample things like that, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it, uh, it's like you get off, you go, wow, that was cool, you know. That was different than anything I've ever <laughs> Yeah, had. you know what I mean? Very different. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember that one time uh, we went up to uh, Miller Motorsport Park and we brought both bikes up there. And so Larry Pilgrim and I ride inside by That's side. Miller Motorsports in what used to be it, Miller Motorsport. Now it's... I don't Something know. campus, isn't it? Is it? In Utah. It's in Utah. Outside Salt Lake City, yeah. And we we went there and rented a racetrack for two days, 10 of us. So, so it's big money, but we did it, right? So <laughs> so, so Larry Pegram flew down. And uh, so we had the whole racetrack for two days to ourselves. And they go, which course do you want to run? We go, well, the long one is we can go really fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long straight there. we Man, we were flying with that oh, thing. We had so much fun. We had just so much fun. And uh, <laughs> and again, those now you know, let, let's be real, okay? Like if you look at lap time wise, okay, you can get today a new super bike. Let, let, let's say Ducati V4, right? right? Got plenty of horsepower. And I'm sure the V4 Super Legera, uh, it's it's wonderful. Blah blah blah. But then again, it's hundred pounds heavier than the than the, the, the GB11. Yeah. yeah, and uh, so. The, that also a huge influence how the thing exit corner and so on, right? right. Now, I would think that uh, it'd be probably faster on lap time, but 
that's not important. The, the, the important is experience the feel yeah. that, on that one bite, you know, it just... Um, that's pretty cool. I got to tell you, it's pretty cool. Like, I was like, there's only a couple of people in the world that have ridden this bike, and one of them is Valentino Rossi. Yeah, well, I mean, that's cool. well, here is the thing too. When I was at Laguna Sega with it one time, and I came down on Cross Grill, and I showered my helmet, I said, "Now," I go, <laughs> "Did you cut the corner?" Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, I said, "I said now, I want. I think I just broke the record. Be the oldest man coming down Cross Grill on the MotoGP by." You know, I was like 65 years old at the time. <laughs> and I don't think anybody 65 years old came, came off the course on a MotoGP bike, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, man, I was cracking That's up. That's awesome. You're still one of the most naturally talented riders I've ever seen, matey. Uh, yeah. I, I tell you what. Well, you know, the older we get, the faster we was, you know. It's, yeah. it's well, like, actually, we sorry. were faster. Let's we were think, pretty quick. Well, yeah. think about this. I did win two production championships in California, right? Yeah, in Southern Cal. So, so... So I must be an okay rider, right? Um, but anyway, I was going to tell you another thing interesting about having uh, unique bikes like that. There are people, there's, there's, there's already enthusiasts that in the same level as us. When I was up in Laguna Sega last year after Motor America, and Ducati had the date, and they asked me to bring up to ex 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 exhibition, you know, exhibition, right? Right. So I was in the garage, and I was with uh, Ferracci and uh, some people from Bologna, and uh, and unknown to me anyway. So now, as you know, those they, they, those bikes ran 16.5 inch uh, uh, wheels. They right. stopped making those tire lights six, eight years ago. Within the Bridgestone era. Uh, uh, yeah. Now it's all 17s. They're all 17. No one make no one makes 16.5. Nobody. Okay. Right. So when I was there and. Uh, Oscar from uh, Pirelli, right, and uh, for Pirelli racing and stuff. And he go, oh, it's so nice, to, you know, to see people, you know, have these motorcycles actually bring it out and, 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 and show, you know, showcase the bike, you know, for the, so on. And I just said to him, you know, just go, well, listen, you know, Oscar, you know, when I got this bike, those tires would discontinue. I bought every tire you have in France and they're afraid of it. <laughs> and I said, I'm down to three sets, so you're probably going to see this bike, you know, much longer. Well, unknown to me, he made me 16.5 brand new slicks. Wow. Yes. It's not, now, this is, I'm telling you, that's the difference between enthusiasts. Money cannot buy that. you got to find another person in the position, as crazy as you are, as right. nutty as you are, he didn't do it for the money. Right. He did it because for the passion, right? right. When Just because he wants to see that bike out there and other people running would, around. Yes. So he shipped me. So I had some extra. So I shared with some of my enthusiast friends. Like, for example, um, my buddy, Kerry Andrew from Hypercycle. Right. And, and he was excited that I was able to give him some fresh 16.5s. <laughs> he couldn't believe it. He could. You go. How you do that? Go. Trust me. <laughs> money can't buy this. Okay. And it probably won't happen again. <laughs> yeah. No. Probably won't. Probably the end of it. So. Right. So. Um, but. Um, so he did. He made a run on those tires. I believe someone was supposed to go to Iowa Man for for some 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 team, but because they canceled Iowa Man, so there's some extra one. Okay. So. So I bought them all. <laughs> so, 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 so I shared them um, with uh, my friend, iconic uh, 
uh, uh, Adam motorbikes. Trump. Yeah. Right. And so he'd been offering 30 sets, you know, I think he already sold all of them, if maybe has some left, but I'm keeping some uh, to, for my friends, like, I, I don't do it for the money, just like Oscar didn't do it for money. Right. But what I did were, basically I go, hey, this is how much it cost me. Guys, you want, you know, so one friend of mine still racing a vintage twins, he right. got that job, the Priabon, uh t- titanium frame Ducati twin thing. Okay. I can't remember what he called it by, but anyway. So he got a couple of those, and uh, Brian, and uh, so, so he go, he go, can I have ten sets? Go. <laughs> so I said, yeah. So, um, so like even my mechanic Tony, you know, he wanted a few sets for his uh, 1098 uh, RS, you know, because cause they have by the can ride without it, unless you and change the wheel. All came with sixteen and a half inch wheels. Yep, back that. twenty years ago, all those bikes, all the way up to. Um, uh, Nine, uh, 2009, 10. I wonder why. I mean, what is the advantage of a 16 and a half over a 17? Well, you 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 have a uh, you have a taller profile tire, don't you? Yeah, but so more side grip. Okay. Right. It turned, and also remember back in those days, the bike was designed for 16.5. So I was talking right. to Kerry Andrew, right, about changing 17. Well, yeah, you can do 17, but the bike works better with 16.5. Right. You know, the way it steered, the way it balanced, you know. Right, and sure. uh, so, like I said, when I told Kerry I have this tire, he was excited. He go, he go, what? He go, I'll take as many sets you can spare. <laughs> 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 so this is why I'm talking about the enthusiasm about owning a MotoGP bike. I think right. that you start um, uh, meeting people. I meet people around the world at GP bike. I rode, um, um, uh, what's your name? Um, uh, a pseudo CRT BMW 1000 GP bike because um, a, a, a guy that knows that I have one. Right. And then then he came to America, visit me, and then he invited me to uh, to Bruno, right? This like six years ago, whatever. Right. And then he let me ride his um, uh, Marquez Motor 2 bike. He, this uh, is uh, Maurizio? Yes. Right. So, so I rode that bike, I rode the Patronas, Right, they right. had. I rode a uh, Mahindra uh, Moto Three bike, and we spent three days riding motorcycle. And from there, then he went to work for Suter, and as right. a chairman the following year. And then I could have met Suter, and then I was invited to all the Suter program, right. and I met all the Suter customer that bought all this used GP bike. Then, right. then uh, Roger said to me, he go, you want to ride my BMW? I go, my, his my CRT bike. Yeah, CRT bike. Yeah. <laughs> right? Let me think about that. Yeah, and then Mr. Suter Eskew said to me, would you like to ride my MMX 500? Yeah! <laughs> so I was in Mugello riding this motorcycle and I went to, what, Mugello? Just living the dream, Oh, matey. yeah. Living the dream. So so you bring enthusiasm to, to, to having that MotoGP bike connect me with all the nutters like me Right? Whole opened up a whole world. Whole world that, that there's a more there's these, a lot of us around. Right. Well, may, maybe so like few, but still a lot. Race bike collectors, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, we were. I rode what Valencia, uh, Catalonia, everywhere with yeah. these guys. Yeah. But anyway. Well, that is awesome. That's well, a great story, matey. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you. Uh, you coming out and uh, talking to me about it. Yeah, I hope I didn't bore you. Know, no, I audience. don't find it boring. I mean, maybe everybody else will, but <laughs> I didn't. And it brought back some great memories. Yeah. I just remember when you said to me, you were like, 
you, I was following you on the jicks and you did like three laps on the bike and you pulled in, I pulled in behind you and you got off and John Effer was there and he took the bike and you got off it and you walked back to me and you said, you want to have a go on it? And part of me was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> and the other part of me was like, ooh, maybe not. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but you were and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to do it. I got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you have to do it. That was great. It was awesome. I'll mm. never forget it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Anytime. Right. Okay. Good talking to you. Thanks, man. Bye.